Hello, I'm Lindley Gooden. Welcome to Market Force Live's podcast, Driving Growth in Insurance Through Advanced Personalization and Value Added Services, hosted in association with Accenture. Now, today we'll be investigating the best ways to achieve something every insurer wants growth across their organization. So naturally, we have to focus on the customer, their expectations and opportunities for insurers to increase their revenues and market share as long as they deliver hyper-relevant services and products to their customers. So it's, it's about personalization, isn't it? And how good you are at creating value-added services with much better insights from data driven by analytics and machine learning too. So let's get started and meet the people who'll be telling us more about this gold mine of customer interaction. First, we have James Henderson. Hello, James. Hello, Lindley. Good to have you with us. James is the head of propositions, marketing and distribution at Aviva. He's worked across all aspects of the customer lifecycle and the marketing landscape, holding a number of roles at Aviva. He currently leads the newly created Aviva Connected Markets business, which aims to grow the organization's share of the connected home market and drive a different level of customer engagement. Great to have you with us. Next up from our partner Accenture, we have Kieran Les Forrest. Hello, Kieran. Hello. Great to have you with us. Uh, Kieran is a senior manager at Accenture with over eight years consulting experience, working with clients from across the insurance and banking uh, industries. Now, since 2015, Kieran has worked closely with Accenture's applied intelligence and wider digital practice, helping organizations to embed analytics and AI across the insurance value chain to deliver better business and customer outcomes. Great to have you with us too. Great to be here. So let's get started. Three sections covering three of the big issues packed full of insights and ideas, some of which we hope you can take back to your business. Firstly, let's dive into one of the hottest topics on everyone's lips at the moment. It's personalization and try to come up with some useful ways to deliver a total customer experience. Well, first of all, uh, James, what's your idea of that total customer experience? Well, for me, Lindley, it's about um, uh, exactly that. It's about everything, uh, but it starts from the first time that the product shows up, the way that the brand communicates to the customer the need for it, all the way through to how the customer uses it, purchases it, um, and then even beyond. So when a customer stopped using that product, uh, how, how that brand responds uh, is all about the total customer experience. So it's... The clues in the title. It's absolutely everything from thing. start to end and beyond. Uh, Kieran, what do you think? Any things that you need to get kind of right, you know, really focus on to get that total experience correct? Yeah, I think um, you have to demonstrate that you know me. So you know who I am as an individual, maybe what live stage I'm at, uh, my attitudes and behaviours. I think that's really, really important. Um, I don't like to be asked for information that I think you could or should have. So you can make that experience as seamless as possible. Um, and if you can connect me to a broader set of services to make my life easier, then that for me feels like a total customer experience. So that's really imp- that's really important. Uh, how does personalization help us to achieve this, this much better experience? Personalization is at the heart with the use of analytics and data. We know this, James, but, you know, uh, where does it lead directly to much better experiences for me, the customer? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the for me, personalization uh, helps brands to deliver, you know, relevant and meaningful services or products to the customers. That's great, um, but it's not it's not enough to just be, you know, uh, have a personalized proposition. The whole infrastructure, targeting, uh, and ultimately and most importantly, it's got to have a compelling proposition at the end of the day. You know, if you're personalizing something that is average or me too, it doesn't matter. 
you know, you have to have a powerful proposition as well. And the principle with personalization is you need to know your customer already. You need to know why you're trying to personalize the product and what you're trying to personalize to whom. I guess in some ways, increasingly, it's about finding out where I as a customer choose to do this or do that and zigzag in my choices. Absolutely. And I think the way in which you can you can do that is by, number one, enhancing the data foundation. So the ability to stitch the offline and the online world together and understand where people want interact typically and how you can serve content that's relevant to them at a time in which they want to read it in a creative and engaging way. So mm. I think that's that's really, really important. I think it's also vital that you bring in the human insight into that process. Um, so really understanding what your customers want and the wider research, as well as all the knowledge capital within your organization. So bringing the, together the product teams, the marketing teams, the pricing to come up with those initiatives and hypotheses that you want to test mm. and then going through a process of uh, experimental uh, engagement. So um, not assuming, you know, what people want, but just having that ability to test and learn and then course correct and change and iterate. So I think that's really, really important and helps to drive towards that personalization. Testing and learning, James, hasn't always been insurance's best bedfellow. It's a risk. Absolutely. And, you know, Kieran and I have just both both chuckled at that. Um, <laughs> the, the, you're absolutely right. And, and there are some sound bites around the industry, you know, um, test and learn, fail fast, you know, uh, permission to fail, all that kind of stuff. The, the, in reality, I think what brands have got to have got to get really good at doing, uh, insurers especially, is being able to um, isolate the uh, the tests that you want to do. Be really clear on the objectives, uh, create the environment and the culture, and separate your your testing and learning from the core parts of the business. Otherwise, you know, you will fail. I think that's practical tip number one, and, and obviously people are doing that already, uh, but probably not at scale. And that's uh, doing this at scale is is the difficult piece in some ways. Yes, you can deal with the data with a lot of investment of time, if not money. Uh, you can get to that point and and start to replicate the kind of gaffer style interaction, but that personal touch at scale, not easy to do, Kieran. It's not, and I think there's two kind of key components again. So I guess from a machine learning algorithms perspective, scale is its best friend. So the more data you have, the better it's going to get at predicting um, what customers want. So that that helps from that aspect. However, you need to have your infrastructure set up in the right way to be able to respond in those moments that matter for customers. And that's not easy, but very, very important that you get that set up. Um, and there's this idea of um, people who are responsible for a sp specific initiative. And as you start to learn from how that's working with customers, they can apply their own expertise and judgment to continue to shape that and refine that. Uh, and making sure you're always driving at, at the value, I guess, that you're trying to achieve. Well, that brings us actually surprisingly, but neatly into the way the organization works and how, uh, first of all, clued up the team are. It's helping you internally to get a clear view of the customer, real time, at least-ish, real time and accurate. I mean, I don't want to be contacted too much, James. I want to be contacted with the right information at your fingertips. Insurers specifically have spent decades using data to be able to uh, really finesse and crisp up the pricing, right? And um, they have thousands of people focused on that one thing. And the trick now is to, uh, and actually at Aviva we're doing this, we, we've built a, a data science practice called Quantum, 
bringing together all of the data scientists across the whole group and turning that power uh, into not just to look at pricing, yes, that will continue, but also how do you point that power and that capability to customer engagement, to claims, to, to other parts of the essential customer journey, not just getting a brilliant price? Yeah, having a hub, is that the way, do you think that's, that, that offers more power and it could do to other insurers, if they're not doing it already, possibly they have uh, isolated teams or a large initiative that is working in different departments. But actually doing that hub thing, has that been useful? Uh, it's been, it's been uh, groundbreaking because it's, it's given a sense of community to all of the data scientists. And there is a really, there's an establishing uh, framework where parts of the business that might not have ever used uh, behavioral analytics can, you know, ask for resource and focus on solving a particular customer problem that they couldn't have get solved before. If you are uh, talking to customers, engaging with them, and you are um, giving them information about things that are relevant to them, their lives, their families, their homes, their business, um, then they will um, consent to you, you, you know, having and using their data. Um, and one of the things that we have within Aviva that works really well is the customer data charter. Uh, this this is a, a formal thing. Uh, it is governed uh, and it has a, a set of people that help us to challenge the way we're using data. Um, and it doesn't always need to be that formal. One, one of the, the practical things that I use with my team is just to say, look, um, if would you be comfortable talking to a customer and telling them how you are using their data to improve their experience? If not, don't do it. Let's talk creepiness for a minute. Uh, the age-old problem with going too far, crossing the line, having too much information and contacting me too often or knowing something that I don't necessarily want you to know. Look, we're in the age of that. So how do you avoid that creepiness factor? Well, I actually don't mind creepiness um, from my <laughs> own experience and some of uh, my favourite purchases. And uh, I can think of a floral shirt that I like to wear in the summer that I definitely didn't need, but I now wear quite a lot. Has, Before we came on, you know, I, I did mention I bought a lot of shirts and none of them have worked out when I've been chased <laughs> around the internet <laughs> for a deal. But it worked. Yeah, and I think that just highlights um, people's perception of creepiness differs. Mm. Um, and I know friends who will turn on their location services and all the applications, so that application has the best ability to personalise the service. And there is that balance between, I guess, customers wanting these um, you know, hyper-relevant experiences. But I guess to do that, they need to give away some of their data. And I think that the key there is that value exchange. It's why would I do that as an individual and what, what do I get back? So I think that's, that's very, very important when you think about this idea of creepiness. Yeah. Um, from a regulation perspective, we've seen GDPR come in, which has, I guess, changed the game here. And I think what's also very interesting is... Um, Safari and Mozilla. So Mozilla famously says they are not for profit, but for people. Uh, and what they're looking at doing is making cookies expire rapidly. So the ability to be creepy in inverted commas, um, they're saying they don't want to do so they can, um, I guess, honor our privacy and their commitments to their customers. So mm. I think that's definitely the way um, it's going, particularly in Europe. Mm. Um, and I think that points to how insurers need to think about their response to this. So in a post-GDPR world, I think it's really, really important that they can take data from the big platform, so 
companies like Google and Facebook, mm. use what they can um, to really understand their customers much better and then to kind of target them in the most effective way. And make but sure customers more, know, James, yeah. Yeah, sorry, Lindley, I was going to say there's a, there's a risk, a corresponding risk to that, which is that the um, we talked earlier about the making sure that online and offline journeys were seamless and they were integrated. One of the things that, that especially insurers have got to get right is um, being able to equip the frontline staff with um, the kind of data that the, the online systems have. So if you imagine a situation where a customer says, hang on, um, you, you know that I was on this website the other day because you followed me around with an insurance ad, but yet you don't know that I phoned in two weeks ago uh, to talk about you know a, a different product. It's, if you fail to get the basics right, then any sophisticated targeting is a waste of time and may be detrimental. The, the consequence is that the customer, I think, it will do more damage if you do poorly, uh, poorly executed personalization than if you were to do no personalization at all. The customer will feel more remote, more isolated, and, and will go elsewhere. Okay, you're listening to Market Force Live's podcast, Driving Growth in Insurance Through Advanced Personalization and Value Added Services, hosted in association with Accenture. A very warm welcome to you. Okay, let's move on to that special something that shows that you really care and you're prepared to go above and beyond for the customer, the personal touch. We've mentioned it already, but every insurer wants to have a real relationship with their customers. It is difficult, though. Sometimes there's a passive relationship. Price competition is one reason for that. Another is the classic. Customers rarely speak to their insurer outside renewals or claims, do they? So, is it possible to build really long-lasting but also loyal customers? Well, Kieran, first of all, how can insurers increase the regularity of their interactions with customers? Let's start there. I think it comes to how can they help that individual. So um, if I think at long-term savings, for example, in the life pensions and investment sector, I think there's a, an obvious relationship there that a provider can can develop where you, they can actually start to help them achieve their, their personal goals. And that can mean you know taking their family through university and uh, paying for the wedding and all those other things that you might want to save for. So I think there's definitely a way in which you can start to build that engagement to help individuals achieve something that's personal to, to them. And I think that's uh, an area where there's an obvious opportunity. So right off the bat, you're thinking about outcomes. We talked about in the last section, James, that's really important to think about. Not what my insurance policy is doing, but what it's for. That's exactly right. So for me, it's all about being and remaining relevant so the way that the way that insurers increase the regularity, the impact, the engagement with uh, with customers is to become relevant. At the minute, they only contact customers when it's time to renew. To your point, or when they're clumsily cross-selling, and customers can see through that. One of the things we're looking to do at Aviva is understand what can we do uh, in order to have a a more relevant engage or a relevant relationship with customers. Um, and we, we're trialling a number of things. So um, we acquired a controlling stake in NEOS, the, the connected insurer. The, the reason for doing that is because that allows us to have a different and more engaging relationship with customers. They have smart tech in their homes. We're not talking about insurance. We are remaining relevant. That, that for us is, is the key. 
Yeah, I think that's going to be really, really important, and that that context is is critical. I think health is, uh, I guess, an obvious area where there've been leaders in in this field. So, connected devices and helping people achieve their their health outcomes and being rewarded for good behaviour. So, I think that's a, another good example of where you can start to bring in the Internet of Things and then uh, machine learning, advanced analytics insights to to really increase that relationship. It's about value add, isn't it? It's exactly. about I mean, it has to be value. Value is the key word, though, here. The customer has to derive value and know, absolutely know, that there's value in that for me. Yeah, I agree. I think that it all comes back to value. And maybe another example would be if you're a small, medium enterprise. So these people invest, I guess, their livelihoods in, in starting a new business. This is you know, deeply personal to that, in, to that individual. They've got people under them and they you know, stand to lose their jobs if it all goes wrong. So I think anything you can do to maybe help a, a company like that understand businesses that are similar to theirs, maybe what are the five lessons learned from um, their experiences. And I can imagine a SME portal starting to share those insights and really help those those individuals so mm-hmm. i think that's how they can the customer can get value and i guess from the insurer side of things if there's more um better risk management or amongst similar companies then that can lead to i guess less claims and things like that so i think that's where you start to see that that value exchange james uh, before we came on today we talked about fear i buy insurance because i'm afraid that something will go wrong i don't want it to go wrong i don't want to claim on that thing Uh, but it's fear. And then insurers, if they don't communicate, things like reassurance, you know, mitigating that fear, helping me to navigate it so it doesn't happen. If insurers don't do that, the future is looking bleak, is it not? Yeah, I I, I totally agree. What we've learned is that um, insurers have always talked rightly about how, um, how wonderful they are when it comes to the point of claim. Um, and that that will remain true, and that that's the the core being of an insurance company. However, customers don't want to think about when they claim in, in any 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 insurance aspect whatsoever, um, especially life insurance. But the um, you know any kind of insurance, they don't want to claim. So I think the the point around uh, what can we do around prevention, what can we do around making sure that the best type of insurance is not to need insurance in the first place. This is already very prominent in commercial lines. Uh, we, we do loads of work around helping organisations understand their risks and then prevent them so they don't need to claim. This is going to become more prevalent in the personal line space. So, Kieran, what about um, the big tech giants? We've mentioned the GAFA 4 before. Um, you know, h- how big a threat are they to the insurance industry right now? I guess we can look in the next few years as well because uh, as insurers become more nimble, more customer focused, more outcome focused, perhaps the expertise and the reliability and that reassurance that insurers can give should pip them at the post, right? Yeah, I think it's a very interesting question. I think at the moment um, where I see the the threat from the gaffers is probably in embedded insurance. So Apple's foray into the sort of cyber cover market and Amazon have their Amazon Protect product, which I guess is examples of those. Um, and um, But I don't necessarily think they'll want to come in and be insurers themselves at the moment. And I think what we might see more of is insure techs actually building on their, their infrastructure and creating 
compelling propositions themselves. I think the main example we have of this is in China and Zhong Ang, I believe that's the right uh, pronunciations, <laughs> but you can, you can yeah. check that. Um, so they're backed by Alibaba, which is, I guess, an Amazon equivalent, and they now have 500 million customers. I think they've written 8 billion policies. Um, so they've really grown rapidly. And I guess that's the, probably the best example of a, a new insurance company doing something different, um, working with a company akin to Agatha. So, James, uh, you know, if you can pull out your crystal ball for a second, which new value-added services do you think will become important in the next few years? You know, are there things that, or areas, or ways of working, perhaps, that can take us forward in the next few years? So, I think you mentioned the uh, the IoT earlier. Um, uh, what, what insurers have got to do, and, and Kieran made the point really well, is tap into that ecosystem. So, a, a customer's life. If you think about, it, just take home insurers as, as an example. Um, a customer's home um, is not bricks and mortar anymore. A customer's home includes all of the services that they have, everything from their, you know, their 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 virtual assistants, smart fridge, smart cams, you know, everything. What insurers need to do is make sure that they are there, they are relevant, and that they are able to provide the reassurance, the risk prevention, the the actual insurance to that emerging and evolving sort of. Uh, definition of home. The third and final part of our discussion today right now is all about data and how we can use better insights to develop a truly excellent experience and relevant, timely offerings that really drive growth and customer loyalty for the years ahead. Let's get practical. First of all, uh, Kieran, how can uh, financial organisations really offer the right product at the right time? comes back to data. Um, So we said at the beginning about stitching the online and the offline world together. I think that's vitally important. Um, I think insurers will need to be API driven. So the ability to respond now in those moments that matter so they can serve up the right content in a way that's engaging with the right offer. So I think that's going to be absolutely critical. And then using machine learning to get to those data driven recommendations. So uh, experimenting a lot, getting lots of response data back, and then powering that through machine machine learning. I think that's the three key elements for me. James, APIs, three little letters that mean so much. There, there are potentially uh, exponential numbers of products available. We don't know what they will be. We can't predict what they would be. But uh, they do give the, 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 the flexibility, the potential to offer really interesting products that are niche, that are personalized, don't they? Absolutely right. Uh, and any any insurer that is not looking at how it can develop a connected proposition going into the future is in trouble. Um, what, one of the reasons we, we took a, a controlling stake in, in the business called NEOS, I mentioned earlier. Yeah. NEOS are uh, the, the first sort of genuine connected home insurer in the UK. Uh, and what we saw in them was exactly that, that, that they had the that they were focused on the consumer, on prevention, on their evolving needs, but using technology and their their IoT platform as central to that. And that's exactly what we're buying into. Partnering is, is going to be really important. You've just said that. In principle for insurers, as advice to the people listening to us today, what, what should you be looking at? You've got three choices, right? You've got build it, buy it, or partner. Uh, and the people listening have, have, are going to be of varying sizes and have uh, different opportunities available to them. Um, but if you look at your own uh, your own infrastructure, your own capability, uh, there are companies out there that can support you with, with all three of those approaches and get the one that's right for you. So that's really interesting. Let's look at the other two, Kieran. Uh, the benefits of building it, benefits of buying it. 
So I think if you're um, going to build it, you need to think carefully about what's already out there. So companies like Google have fantastic speech to text APIs and text analytics um, products. So I think why necessarily build your own when you can start to pull on those services? Yeah. Um, image recognition is is another example. Mm. Um, but where there is a need for, I think that more of that specific insurance context and insight, I think that's where you might think to build it yourself, mm. or take a component like that, uh, like I just mentioned, and then do the rest. So I think often what we're going to start to see is combinations of and stitching those different bits together to create that um, end-to-end product that you need. And James, whatever data source you have, and there are so many out there, we talked about IoT a little bit, also you need to get your own data straight, uh, which a lot of people have been spending a long time doing now. But I guess if if there was one thing that potentially in-house you need to do is get your analytics capability right. You need to really start to be able to process the data and come out with insights that your team can use and customers will like you for. Absolutely right. And and historically, uh, people have been very good at traditional, you know, basic geodemographic segmentation. That's, you know, wonderful. That serves a purpose. I'm sure it always will. Um, What firms need to get better at now is the behavioral profiling. So just because you look like somebody um, that that lives here in in the same postcode, your attitude to financial services is likely to be totally different. How do you keep across that data, whatever the source? How do you start to practically keep your eye on that data, make sure it's useful to you and your customer? Data. So I think that's where this idea of a central function really really helps and comes comes into play so building that sense of community having those skills and expertise that can scan the horizon and they can start to incorporate maybe different data sets in order to power those specific initiatives that you as an organization have decided is important i think that's how you can stay on top of that Um, but i think that's just one component of making this successful and i think uh, another couple of areas which i think is important to talk about so i think the first would be um, the upfront value identification i think because this is such an exciting topic and there's lots of buzzwords out there, I think it's very easy to get lost into the kind of hyperbole um, and people will focus on a you know specific cool application but not thinking about the specific value it's going to drive the organisation and the customer. So I think getting that right at the beginning is really, really critical. And also understanding the colleague pain points. So we've spoken a lot about customer, but what you're doing here is very transformational uh, and you're going to change the way your organization works to become more of a data-driven business so really understanding how you can help them make their uh, day-to-day work more enjoyable and take them along that journey because it will be painful particularly in things like the contact center and marketing departments will change i think that's really really critical to making this success we talk a lot about the the interplay of uh, things like machine learning uh, which are potentially uh, processes getting the the the, the information right uh, and then the the team. Uh, James, what what next in terms of, as Kieran points to, getting the team to work happily with the tech and vice versa? Well, I I think there's the, at the minute we're in the sort of the melting pot stage of of bringing in in, into teams, you know, the the, the different areas, whether it's pricing, product, marketing. Uh, I think the next stage is a blurring of the lines between those traditional siloed functions. And if you are in a product development team, marketing team, pricing team, if you don't have an understanding and an appreciation of data analytics, AI, machine learning, the, the opportunities and the power, if you're relying on other people to tell you, 
then I think you're you're in trouble. I think you, you know professionals along the sort of sales and marketing space need to have that understanding. Otherwise, they're going to be left behind. Yeah, they're they're absolutely vital. And I think James, you touched on an interesting point there about a new role I think is emerging. So this idea of like a business interpreter, so someone who has that strong industry expertise but knows enough to be dangerous when it comes to data analytics and, and machine learning and kind of and can bridge that gap. So I think more and more and more we're going to start to see that that role emerge and become core in helping these multidisciplinary teams be successful in driving value from these types of initiatives. So as we summarise, uh, what's next, James, in terms of making personalization work for insurers, for customers, what do I need to focus on right now to start to take that journey further than I have already? The key term for me is relevance. Making sure that, you, that you, all of those things point to a relevant uh, customer outcome. Value first is, is critical. Uh, and having a clear view of what you're trying to do and the business value that's going to drive. I think you need the um, C-suite sponsorship. I think changing the ways of working, so we touched on these multidisciplinary teams, moving to more kind of agile and iterative ways of working, which I think is really key. So I think, uh, and also becoming good storytellers. So um, telling people about your successes as well as your failures and that regular engagement across all levels of the organisation, I think is really, really important. Okay, well, that is all that we have time for. I do hope that you've enjoyed the discussion, that you've found James and Kieran's insights really useful and picked up some really practical tips on delivering personalization and value-added services to drive growth across your business. If this conversation sparked your interest and you'd like to hear more, just Google Money Live or Insurance Innovators to find a wealth of content on the latest financial services insights from us, not least our Future of General Insurance reports. You can also check out our events page to see the range of hotly anticipated events and webinars that run throughout the year. And do also uh, go to Accenture.com to see how the world's leading companies are embracing innovation. Well, it only remains to say a big thank you to James and to Kieran for joining us today and to Accenture for making the podcast possible. For now, thanks for listening and we hope you can join us again for the next Market Force Live podcast. Bye for now. Bye.